Welcome to this bonus episode of When Did You Know? Today I'm joined by the published author Ben Freeman to chat about his new book, Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People, which is out now. Uh, Ben joined me on episode four of When Did You Know? to talk about his experience of coming out as a gay man. But now we're talking about his coming out as a proud Jewish man and how the LGBT pride movement helped him define exactly what Jewish pride is. Welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. It's really wonderful to be back. How does it feel to have written a book? (laughs) It's quite surreal. Um, It's wonderful. I feel so lucky that my publisher is No Pazaran Media, who I obviously must thank, that they wanted to publish the book, that there's people who want to read it. It's, It's just amazing and surreal and not something I necessarily ever really thought that I would do. So where did where did it come from? Like, where do you remember the moment that you knew you wanted to write a book about it? Or was it just over several years? I do remember. It started a couple of years ago, actually, the, the process. And I wrote an article. I joined Twitter in 2018. And I occasionally, I mean, really very occasionally, would write articles, sometimes for a website called Harry's Place, sometimes just self-publishing on Medium. And I wrote an article about reclaiming Zionism because I noticed that the non-Jewish world had appropriated Zionism and warped it and bastardized it into something else. So if you ask me what Zionism is, Zionism is the movement of self-determination for Jewish people to return them to their indigenous homeland, the land of Israel, the Levant. That's what Zionism is. But when non-Jewish people started to tell me Zionism is imperialism, Zionism is white supremacy, colonialism, racism, that really made me feel very uncomfortable, A, because it's just anti-Semitic, and B, because they don't get to define Zionism. It's a Jewish concept. It was made for Jews by Jews. So I wrote this article just about we need to be proudly proclaiming ourselves as Zionists and reclaiming this concept and kind of delegitimizing any non-Jewish definition of it or any inaccurate definition of it. And then one of my friends in Hong Kong, Dr. Elizabeth Lacouture, who is the director of gender studies at Hong Kong University, she was like, oh, you should turn this into a book. And I was like, oh, very good, which is kind of a Scottish thing to say. I was like, no way, like, what are you talking about? I'm not, I I was like, how could I possibly write a book? And then I just began thinking about Jewish identity and I saw on Twitter a desperate need for Jews to be proud. Lots of Jews were battling Corbyn incredibly bravely and, and with enormous amounts of courage but I also saw some Jewish people struggle with this fight and I think they struggled with it in part because kind of the unofficial policy of the Jewish world was keep your head down get on with it so we were not necessarily encouraged to speak out we were not necessarily encouraged to advocate for ourselves so when there came a moment where we had to that was very difficult for some people so reclaiming Zionism as a concept, watching what I was seeing on on Twitter, and then also being a gay man who, as you said, has gone through his own pride journey already. Um, it kind of all rolled into this moment where I was like, okay, I want to do it. And it's and I decided I wanted to do it in September 2019, maybe the 19th of September, although don't quote me. And David Hirsch, the brilliant and great British academic, was in Hong Kong. I organized for him to come and he was doing speaking engagements. And I was kind of his host for that trip. And we, I'd met him before, but we had a chance to speak and discuss lots of different interesting things. 
and it just inspired me. I remember he was doing a talk at the Reform Synagogue in Hong Kong, which is actually where I've I did the Hong Kong launch. It was the same place. And he was doing a talk and I went into the synagogue on Friday night for Kabbalah Shabbat, the Friday night service. And I said to him, I want to write a book about Jewish identity. And it started as a joint project. We were going to do it together. And he came over to my apartment the next day and we discussed and we made notes. And it kind of then transpired that actually this is something I had to do by myself because it was so rooted in my um, previous journey to LGBTQ plus pride, but he was very much a part of it. So that was it. I mean, it was really that trip. I was like, I have to do this. And I guess he gave me the confidence to say, actually, yes, I do have a, a specific perspective and I think that it's important and I want to raise my voice and tell my story. If I'm honest, I was kind of expecting the book to be very self-helpy um, mm. and and it's not. And, and I, I'm quietly relieved like kind of because self-help books I've kind find can be really helpful but they can also sometimes be a bit condescending not that I ever thought you would be but um that's a little bit of what I was expecting some self-help element to it and it's not it's really it genuinely feels really empowering so how would you describe the book what what is it I would say it's a thematic book and the theme is obviously Jewish pride and I know that goes without saying but what I mean by that is it's many things there is a very strong history element. There's a very strong current affairs element. There's a psychological element. There is, of course, a self-help element. There's almost, in certain ways, a memoir element. And I think that I had to touch in all of these different areas to really properly explore this concept of Jewish pride. I just, it, it wasn't, because it's not just about Jewish history, although that's a big part of it. It's not just about current affairs, although that is a big part of it. And you're absolutely right, a self-help book, I don't know, it's, I guess that's also just not my style. I do think the last chapter, I guess I would describe it as a little self-helpy, but it's not, I think of self-help books being particularly American, and that's absolutely not meant to be disrespectful to self-help books or America, of course, but it's not very British. Um, so I had to approach it in a way, again, as a teacher, if I'm, you know, counselling a student or working with a student through a problem, whether it's academic or, or personal, social, emotional, what I wanted to do was give them, or what I want to do rather is give them the tools. It's about skill developing and tool developing. So that's how I approached that last chapter, 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 excuse me, which is probably the most self-helpy. Um, but it's really about giving people the tools and the skills. But I think the book covers many different things because we are a people whose history spans thousands and thousands of years. And we have to kind of explore and encompass all of that history, our more recent history, our ancient history, our experience today. So you have to explore many different things. And then also from the psychological element, we're still people. Yes, we're talking about rebuilding a people, but we're actually also people, i.e. individuals. So we have emotional responses to the world around us. And we have to start understanding them a bit better, both on a collective level and individual. Towards, um, so I've even written down the page number actually, because it, I loved it a bit, this bit, but on page 290, you mentioned something that kind of summed the book up really well for me, um, that if LGBT plus pride is acceptable, then why wouldn't Jewish pride be equally embraced? And I'd never really considered that before. And I know we've spoken before that for some reason, when it comes to anti-Semitism, 
I still find myself having to kind of make excuses for it, which I don't with my LGBT identity. Um, and for me, that just reading that one line made this whole book make a whole lot more sense and made it so much more powerful. Thank you. I think my experience is really, I think, interesting because when I came out at university, I had I went to the University of Glasgow, it was very left wing, but I was embraced for being a gay man, for coming to my gay identity. But I was very much purposefully rejected for being a Zionist Jew. So then let's just call that for what it is, for being a Jew. So I saw it, I saw the, the, um, the embracement and the rejection. And it's true, I, I've had Jews say to me, oh, well, you know, what happens if we do have our heads held high? What happens then? And I say to them, would you ever say that to me about being gay? Would you ever want me to feel the shame that I felt as a teenager or in my early twenties? No, you wouldn't. And you would fight for my right to be able to express myself in any way that I wanted to. And that same, you call it, I would be maybe, was going to use the word courtesy but it isn't courtesy that same empathy is not directed towards Jews in fact it's very much held so when I tell non-Jewish people that I'm writing a book about Jewish pride yes there are absolutely some people who get it and actually I want to say again when I tell people both Jewish and non-Jewish that I'm writing this book or I've written this book at this point and it's published and um, some people are very supportive obviously but some people are still like well why do you need that and I say to them we as a community are very good at commemorating our dead and we have a very tragic history in many ways so we have a lot of people to commemorate but what we're not good at and what we have not been good at up until this point and I hope this book changes this is understanding the emotional trauma the shame that we all experience and we experience shame in the way that any marginalized or persecuted community feels shame so as a gay man, I felt unbelievable amounts of shame and I hated myself for it. And I know that there are Jews who feel a version of that. And obviously maybe it's not the exact same because our experiences differ, obviously. But you're right. If we're embraced for being LGBTQ+, but we're rejected for being Jews, then it, that's very telling. And if people say, you know, when we celebrate Pride in June, that that's our right, but Jewish Pride is supremacy, we have to ask ourselves really what is the root of their their perspective and it's racism you talk quite openly in the book about um, self-harm and attempting suicide because you were lgbt and then um and the book kind of feels like a journey so you you speak very openly about conversations with your late father at the beginning and and those difficulties on your around your identity but then by the end it's this kind of rallying call and this guide mm. to jewish pride um and in that guide, you you talk about LGBT pride saving your life. So when did you feel proud to be LGBT for the first time? I, I don't I don't even know. I can't even pinpoint it. But I, I remember I don't know when it was, but I remember someone asking me, which is kind of an insane thing that any, would, anyone would ever even ask me this. Like, would I rather be straight? And I said no. And I wouldn't. I love being LGBTQ. I love my partner, obviously, and he's a man, so that's part of that but I love our community I love the, the culture attached to our community I love it I think we're incredibly resilient and strong and that gives me immense pride but it did save my life I mean I really self-harmed pretty intensely for for five years perhaps and then on and off for maybe 10 11 or 12 and then I did attempt suicide and really I attempted suicide so many times I don't know how many times I tried and 
I it is a very vulnerable thing to talk about that in the book but I think this is a vulnerable conversation and, and for me to kind of help lead it I had to make myself vulnerable but yeah I experienced immense amounts of shame and, and trauma but I do feel immense pride and it did feel it, it did save my life because how could I have I couldn't have survived if I didn't come to terms with my identity because that was my issue it was that I hated myself because society had told me that it was wrong to be gay just in many ways they say it's it's wrong to be a Jew or a specific a specific type of Jew and also those added layers about not being raised in a family with other LGBTQ plus people which is kind of very common for for us, I know we've spoken about that before, um, but it did save my life, absolutely. And I, and I do think that pride in whatever form that is, whether it's Jewish, whether it's gay, black, whatever, it ha it is vital. This is not a conversation that we will be tossing aside. This is a conversation that our community must have for the rest of time. How are we embodying Jewish pride? How are we teaching it how are we making sure it's multi-generational how are we making sure it's sustainable and it's the same with the lgbtq plus community this is a never-ending conversation because of the worlds we live in if there was no homophobia if there was no anti-semitism then yes perhaps this might be a bit redundant but that is not the case and i suspect it will not be the case you mentioned as well about hiding your Jewish identity at university and kind of having to come out and what you talked about kind of the nerves and the kind of expecting rejection about telling your friend that you're Jewish, which I had only ever considered from an LGBT perspective, because you talk, you know, if you're Jewish, if you're light skinned Jew, you can pass, you can kind of blend in. So when did you embrace Jewish pride in yourself? That's such a great question. I've always been proud of being Jewish, but yes, my interactions with the non-Jewish world were certainly rooted more in fear than in pride, absolutely. And I think it was when I joined Twitter in 2018 because I was part of a fight. And this was not, you know, I was a Holocaust educator and I have a, I've just, in a few weeks, I'm beginning teaching a three-month class in the Holocaust, which I do every year. And in January, I taught a, web or a webinar on it, but that's, that's a different thing. That's not, you know, fighting for our lives now. It's talking about a fight that happened previously. I was involved in a fight that really felt, you know, it, we, we were faced with this existential threat. And I, and I saw the shame that Jews had and I just thought, screw it. Look at this incredible community we're part of. Look at the amazing talent and beauty in our community. Look at our resilience, look at our contribution, look at our customs. And I started wearing a kippah, a, a yamulke, even though I'm not religious, because I wanted to really show the world that I was a proud Jew. And I'm not going to diminish my Jewishness to fit in. So whether or not I can pass, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about me and how I feel and how I feel about my own identity and our collective, but also individual self-esteem. I did brace for impact. Because more often than not, when I told people I was Jewish, the first thing they would say to me is, what about Israel? What do you think about Bibi Netanyahu? I've had colleagues at work ask me what I think about Bibi Netanyahu, which is entirely inappropriate. But now I call them out on it. Whereas before, I was very aware that I was a Jew in a non-Jewish world. Because something we have to also understand is that we're not just a minority in terms of how we're treated. We're numerically a minority. So often, very often, I'm the only Jew in a room. And 
even now I still feel a little like you know uncomfortable or nervous advocating for for on Jewish issues in that environment but I have to continuously tell myself and reinforce this idea of no screw it I'm allowed to just as much as anyone else is and that's why I say it's this continuous process it's not something that happens overnight it's an ongoing journey there's two statements that um so defining your own identity is to state your right to self-determination and then you also say um only Jewish people can define Jewish identity which is such an obvious thing but again I had not considered it because and and I was comparing it particularly because there's so many parallels in the book between um LGBT identity LGBT pride um and Jewish identity Jewish pride but I have spent personally years trying to understand who I am as a gay man um, and as a Jewish that's a whole other thing I need to deal with at some point but but currently it's where I am as a gay man because I um, I think in my young gay years I was very performative and I kind of acted how I thought gay men should act and, and your book also touches on toxic masculinity which we've talked about and um, the no femmes, no camps kind of attitude of a lot of guys. But yeah, only Jewish people can define their Jewish identity seems such an obvious thing that I, I seem to have missed. So how did you learn to define yourself, both as a Jew and as a gay man, and both combined? Because we only see how a gay man should look in the media, or we only see, we only have certain perceptions of Jews. And I particularly, with... um with perceptions of Jews, I when I told my parents that I was converting, um, and they've been to Israel, they've seen that not all Jews are um, ultra-Orthodox, not all Jews are how they, they kind of anticipated Jews to be, but there were still so many questions about, oh, what, but so will you wear, you know, those really big hats? Um, <laughs> will you keep kosher? What can we cook for you? And there were so many things because they had only still had one perception of what it meant to be Jewish. So how did you define yourself? Um, or learn to define yourself on your own terms and not what society pushed on you? I think it was a fight for survival. I think I had to because otherwise I was drowning. And it's the way I taught myself how to survive and how to kind of also reconcile these two different uh, identities, these two different experiences in terms of how they were perceived. So, and I, and I think also a lot of people, we have gut reactions to things whether it's you know a microaggression or a macroaggression, we have gut reactions. And I think what I learned to do is trust my instinct. So when I was told by colleagues at my current place of work that uh, being Jewish is just a religion or I'm white, it's like, it's okay that you have your perspective on it. But if you're talking about my identity, what you need to do is be quiet, ask clarifying questions if you're unsure, and most importantly, listen. And I also saw that in the world. I saw that the conversations about that happen with, for the Black community. So, you know, this book is born out of the time we live in. It we could never have been written 10 years ago because I don't think that we as a people, we as a world were having the conversations that were necessary. But this is part of a much bigger picture about listening to minorities. And seriously, like, even the other day on Christmas day I was with my partner who's not Jewish and one of his friends told me that Jesus was black and I was like no Jesus was Jewish and not that they're mutually exclusive of course there's many black Jews but Jesus was not a black Jew he was a Middle Eastern Jew today he would be classed as Mizrahi although that classification did not exist then so he was a Jew living in his indigenous homeland 
So it's like, don't you strip. And listen, I actually am obviously Jewish, so I'm not particularly bothered about Jesus. No uh, disrespect to any of our Christian listeners, but it's not my, that's not something that's close to me. But I still was like, no, you don't get to define, you don't get to define a Jew. And it's, and it's so arrogant. It is the most arrogant thing I've ever experienced. Honestly, when people tell me what my identity is, and I say to people, oh, we're not just a religion, we're an ethno-religion, which means there is a shared ancestry, there's an ethnicity, language, tradition, culture, history. And then they say, so, so as a religious group or as a faith group, it's like, did I stutter? Like, I was quite clear. It's just, it's just incredibly rude. And it's a, ma- it's, um, maybe what I'm about to say is an oxymoron, but it's a massive um, microaggression. It's not a macroaggression like someone saying they hate Jews, but it's really offensive. And I had always had gut reactions to these things. So what I had to do was learn to listen to my gut reactions and understand and explore why I felt them. And I've got to say, my gut reactions were absolutely correct. And I should have been offended when people try to define my identity, both as a gay man or as a Jew. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about I kind of explain, try and explain away or make excuses for anti-Semitism sometimes, which, um, or ha, did. I think that's definitely a thing of the past, sort of over the last year or so. I've got stronger in that. But it's still really hard. And there's this real blind spot, I think, when it comes to anti-Semitism. And a lot of it is tied up in Israel. And a lot of it is tied up in that misunderstanding of, oh, it's just a faith. It's just a religion. Um But yeah, I do kind of, it's taken me a long time to not, to not just brush past those little microaggressions and actually say, no, you, you don't really get to define it because we, we've got so much better as a society, um, at allowing LGBT people to define themselves. There is still a hell of a long way to go, um, but we are at that point where we're at least discussing pronouns and people are starting to open their minds up to different gender identities. But when it comes to being Jewish, that still isn't necessarily the case. I want to sort of move on to, in the book you talked about, um, you even considered conversion therapy when you were a young gay man. So what, what brought you to that moment? I was in the street is it Gordon Street perhaps Gordon Street in Glasgow maybe Hope Street it's a street a street in Glasgow and I just finished I was do, I used to work in fashion um I've worked in the Jewish community my whole life and there was a brief moment that I kind of also entered into the fashion industry and that didn't work out but I was in Glasgow working for this kind of boutique and um, design center and I I guess I say I was kind of dressed in my Kurt Hummel best from Glee you know I did have that phase where I would wear bow ties and that was me finding who I was because I love fashion and I loved it and I was working out how I wanted to dress and that was a massive part of me kind of working out my identity in terms of being a gay man and I was on the street waiting for a bus a very busy street and someone walked by and called me um uh I guess a trigger warning for people they call me a poof which is a specifically British slur about LGBTQ plus people, specifically gay men. Um, And I was stunned. And I thought for a brief moment, although not brief enough that I didn't consider this, is like, well, there's no place for me in a straight world. I cannot function in a straight world. So therefore I I can't be gay. The world we live in is straight, it's heteronormative. I cannot be who I really am. And I can't hide it. Like I, I had gone through this process of, of you know self-discovery I can't go back in the closet 
So what I have to do is just try and change. I have to convert out of being gay, um, which is obviously incredibly upsetting, incredibly traumatic. And this is the real cost on minorities. This is what this is what the majority world, wherever that world may be, whether it's the straight world, the non-Jewish world, whatever, that's what it does to us. I, I, like, I didn't see a way to be myself in this world. And at that point, I had decided not to attempt suicide again. So I felt like I was left with no choice. And I, I don't know, I guess it, I, I remember I Googled it um, back in the, I guess, the early internet days. And when was this? 2009, 10, maybe? Um, maybe nine. And the internet was not that young then, actually. It just feels now such a long time ago. Um, yeah, and I Googled it and I guess I decided, I don't really remember the process of, decide, of deciding not to pursue that. But I think there's always been something in me, despite the layers of what I call BS, which are the shame and trauma imposed on me by the world around me. There has always been this kind of um, ferocity that say, no, I matter, I'm here. My life matters just as much as yours. My life cannot be worth less. So therefore I shouldn't be treated differently. Therefore I should be entitled to feel as good about myself as you do. And I shouldn't have, certainly shouldn't have this thing that I cannot change about myself, define my life in this way. I just, it was just wrong to me. And I guess that's it. Like, you know, you say a lot of these things, you, you're like, oh, you realized it and you came to it. I guess for me, and there's many things in the world that was my experience too, but with this, there was always a part of me which knew. I was like, no, this is unacceptable. You cannot treat us like this across whatever identity, whether it's as a gay man or as a Jew. No, it's not. It's unbelievable that my you know, parents had to have conversations with me about representing the Jewish world when I leave the house because of anti-Semitism. That's our reality. They have to warn us about anti-Semitism when we leave the house. And it's unacceptable. And it's not our fault. And that's, I think, the thing that I realized. It's not our fault. It is their fault. It's the it's the majority. And it's also therefore not our problem. It affects us. We have to deal with the consequences. Absolutely. But anti-Semitism, homophobia, whatever it is, is not the fault of the LGBTQ+, the gay community, or the Jewish community. And I think that is, I, that's one thing I really want people to take away from this book. Like, it's not your fault. This is their fault. And they should feel ashamed for making you feel this way. You have nothing to be ashamed for. In your interview with Eliyahu, and I really liked that there was a focus on experiences when you're not in one of the major centres. And I, so I find this all the time. I live in the southwest. It has a, quite a small um, LGBT population and even smaller Jewish one. <laughs> There's about two of us. Um, <laughs> and but a lot of the work around LGBT pride and LGBT support centres always based in Manchester, Brighton, London, sometimes Birmingham. Um, I don't know how it is in Scotland. I'm speaking just for England. Um, but that was so that was your experience in a big metropolitan city in Glasgow, not looking at the centres of Jewish life and LGBT life. That's so important. But what particularly with the Jewish community when it's so small, it's really hard to see role models and it's really hard to know how to behave. And I guess that makes it really easy again to kind of just pass into the background and disappear. Do you, how do you think you would have, your journey would have been had you lived in a more rural community? You know, it's, I, I kind of have a happy medium 
or not happy medium, an unhappy medium, because I've got to tell you, Glasgow is also, I talk about the diaspora within diaspora, Glasgow is in that second diaspora. In the UK, no one cares about Glasgow. It's all about Manchester, London. Yes, Glasgow has a thriving, strong, amazing Jewish community, but it is never considered. And I, even that's my experience now, you know, I'm a Jew living in Hong Kong, working here, and I know that that part of, um, if any kind of struggle I've had in being heard, part of it is because of that. That if I was in New York City, if I was in London, it would have been slightly easier. And I think we as a community have to do a better job to start representing these, these smaller places because we need Jewish pride just as much as anyone else. Because growing up in Glasgow as a Jew, was, it is a lovely city, but it was also pretty hard. But you're absolutely right. There are places much more remote or rural or smaller than Glasgow. And in Eliyahu's story, he talks about this, that he was not only the first trans person in his school, but the first Jew. And he had to lead, and he is just remarkable. I can like wax lyrical about Eliyahu. He's so young, um, he's 19 or 20, and he's so eloquent and so strong, and he's a leader. And I remember realizing why he is a leader during my interview with him, because I was like, oh, because you had to lead your school. You had to lead your school in helping them understand your transition which is just I cannot like his his strength is just so remarkable but also understanding what it means to be a Jew he said he was the only Jew and the only trans person and that is incredibly difficult thank God for the internet and he says this in his interview thank God for the interview for all of us and I think even for me living in Hong Kong the internet is kind of a lifeline I've formed a Jewish community because of this but I do think there are certain centers, London, New York, other places, which must be more mindful. And not this lesson, their experience is their experience, and it's great, but also just maybe be a little bit more considerate, extend a hand, be aware, be cognizant of the fact that not every Jew lives in a community with other Jews. And that is a very isolating experience. It was not my experience growing up, but it certainly is one of my experiences here. I have very few Jewish friends in Hong Kong. Because I'm part of the uh, Bristol and West Progressive Jewish Congregation, but that's two hours away from where I live. And so you're talking about the internet then. It was kind of thanks to to being in lockdown and then moving their services online, which apparently they'd wanted to work out a way to do it for ages. It kind of forced their hand. That, that has made me feel part of a community for the first mm-hmm. time in a long time, because even though they are two hours away. There's a few Jews I found in Plymouth who um, who are part of that congregation and I wasn't aware of before. Um, but the internet has helped me to create my own community as well. But it's mm. also, I think, those centers of Jewish life. So I know that you do not like cooking. Um, I really enjoy cooking. However, I'm awful at baking and I cannot, I can sort of make challah, but it, it never looks great. But just buying challah is impossible. Like we're two hours away from the nearest kosher shop. Um, and Marks and Spencer's sell challah. It's not kosher. That's a whole other issue. But they sell challah um, on Thursday afternoons and Friday mornings. And that's, you know, great. But they only bake about four loaves a week. So it's normally a fight between the Jews of Plymouth to try and get one of these loaves. Um, and Sainsbury's in Plymouth has four shelves of kosher food. Um, and I don't necessarily keep kosher. Um, but there's just also certain ingredients I need, like matzo mm. meal and yeah. um, for cooking. 
but yeah, so it's not necessarily even just the sense of community. It's sometimes just the practicalities of either being Jewish or being part of any minority group. If you have no no one around that's ever considered what it what it means to be part of your group, what it means to be Jewish. And actually, I did have a really an an oddly affirming experience when we between lockdowns in the UK, we were allowed to go out for a bit. And we went to a restaurant and it was like a a mystery menu night. So they they have this amazing chef and he they don't tell you what you're gonna get. It's just gonna be vegetarian to me. And the the starter arrived and I was wearing my yarmulke at the time and the, the waiter it was really sweet. He was like, oh, really quietly, just let you know there's pork in that. I think, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. And now I feel kind of like a dick because I'm not, I don't actually keep kosher. I'm just kind of wearing this. I'm, you know, I, I do keep kosher now. Anyway, long story, but it felt so affirming that someone, some random guy who I'll probably never see again, just thought about me. Whereas all the other wait staff, and he wasn't the one who served the food. He just came by and let me know. So the other wait staff hadn't considered that it might possibly be an issue. So there are pockets of kind of feeling welcome sometimes, but it is, it's hard when you're not near those kind of centers of Jewish or LGBT life. Absolutely. And, and I've had this, I've had a similar experience actually in London. Um, I ordered a turkey and cheese toastie and I also wear a kippah and the woman came running after me being like, it's good meat and milk. When I was like, oh, it's okay. I don't keep kosher, but thank you so much. And that's wonderful. And it is wonderful, but it's still not the same. And listen, I can't even really comprehend you know, when people talk about Jewish life in New York or London, I can't even really comprehend it. I'm like, I cannot, like, I was actually earlier was watching like just random clips of The View on YouTube, like kind of just like mindless stuff. And they had a Hanukkah in the background in some of the clips. And that is amazing, but it's also really crazy for me. That is not the experience in Glasgow, like really. And there is, a, we have a presence. It's not like, it's not, it, my experience growing up was not like Eliyahu's. Um, it was not as remote. But yes, yeah, certainly, I think, I just can't even comprehend it. And I want to go to New York at Hanukkah. My partner wants to go to New York for Christmas. I want to go to New York for Hanukkah because I think I will just be kind of a bit overwhelmed seeing so much Jewish life represented. And listen, America has its, has its own complications and issues, but that is something that really is remarkable. I remember my mum went to New York one December and brought back like a sequined Sevivon and like other stuff. And it was like, wow. And it's, and it, that's so wonderful. And I'm so happy for them, but it, we, we do have to do a better job of kind of reaching out to representing, understanding that not every Jew has that experience. There's quite a few who don't. And, it, and we are dealing with then an additional layer of complexity. And you mentioned kind of part of that is about actively or you actively researched um, and, and engaged with gay history and gay role, gay role models to reach a point of LGBT pride. So how do we encourage others to reach that point? Because I find that there's so many, and there's an amazing new series, it's called It's a Sin, it's on Channel 4 in the UK, and it's about being gay in the 80s and 90s, and it undoubtedly touches on the HIV AIDS epidemic, and that's kind of the main theme of the show. It's unavoidable. It starts in 81. But there were so many re- and it, really positive comments about it online, but also so many comments of complete ignorance, not from, you know, a harsh place, but just never understood that, oh, wow, it was that bad. Mm. And I found that when I'm speaking to students and to staff at, at work, that there's just no knowledge over what LGBT people have been through and continue to go through. Mm. And it's certainly the same with 
with Jewish people. So how do you how do we encourage others to reach that point where they want to find stuff out for themselves? I think the first part is understanding that you're you're part of something greater than you. You know, while my experiences growing up being a closeted gay child were mine, they also aren't mine. You know, I'm sure that many LGBTQ plus people are going to read this book and really relate to everything I say about being gay. And I'm sure there's many Jews who will feel the same about the Jewish stuff. And gay Jews will feel, you know, accessible. And I think the realization actually, this is not about me. It is impacting me. So it's not, it's not a way to kind of delegitimize or kind of say it's, oh, it's not about you, just get over it. That's not what I mean. But actually we're part of something much bigger. And in both communities, we're part of this incredibly rich uh, culture and history. And I think that's really important. And I think we have a responsibility I know that sounds a little teacherly, but it's true. We have a responsibility to learn what came before us, particularly within the Jewish perspective, because we are a, a people um, connected to thousands of years of history. And, in, and some people can trace their lineage, right? So in some people, it's their family. But we cannot move forward if we don't understand our past. And I think that is the case for every, any group. You know, we have to understand what we've been through, what we've endured, how we've triumphed our resilience, you cannot celebrate Jewish resilience if you don't understand what we went through, which involves understanding, yes, what we experienced today, but also our history. And I think also something that's really important, and I, I do touch on this in the book, but this thought of Jewish pride being based on anti-Semitism, I think is gross. I think it can be based partly on our fight, absolutely, but solely basing your pride on oppression, I think is really unhealthy and is, means it's not gonna be sustainable or actually just healthy for you. So I think then you have to explore and you have to find, okay, well, what achievements have we, have we contributed to the world? You know, like Hedy Lamarr, a Jewish actress from Austria who laterally went to the United States, she basically invented Wi-Fi or she invented a few steps before Wi-Fi. I'm not a scientist, so a lot of that goes over my head, but that's incredible. And she's a Jewish woman. You know, that's an achievement. It's not, okay, let's tell another story about... Jews being murdered and that's not to say that we shouldn't tell those stories we absolutely should and Holocaust Memorial Day was in January and it's so important that we mark that but we had there's so much more to us and as individuals we are connected I think I say in the book that we're all threads in a greater tapestry and we are really like connected to each other today and our past and the future so I think really understanding that there's so much more to us than oppression and also our own experiences. And again, that's not to delegitimize or minimize. It's to say that, you know, if I had known how rich LGBTQ plus history was when I was a kid, I think I would have been a little happier. So what's next for the Jewish pride movement? This is just the beginning and it's the start of a conversation. And I think a lot of the work has to be done internally. We have to have public conversations. We have to have conversations about, you know, kind of entering into our the public discourse that anti-Semitism is not our problem, it's not our fault, understanding how it manifests, bettering our, bettering our education. I quote um, someone in the book who says, it it's, it's very quick for our civilization to be disrupted. We need to make sure that, and, and rehaul our Jewish education. We also have to have conversations about LGBTQ plus phobia in the Jewish community. We have to have conversations about misogyny in the Jewish community. Um, anti-black racism you that is part of our journey to pride it's just the beginning we also have to look into ourselves you and I are both proud Jews and we've both said there are moments in our lives where we have kind of allowed that part of ourselves to shrink 
So we that's a, a, a public conversation, but also an individual conversation with ourselves. And it's an independent journey as well as being a collective journey. Um, but we have to start talking about it. We have to, I mean, I think this book is revolutionary in many ways. Some of the, the ways are because of the interviewees and, and the amount of diversity it represents in the Jewish community, but also the issues it talks about. I think it's incredibly powerful for a Jew to stand up and say, this is not our fault. It's not our problem. And actually this is a toxic relationship and we have our own issues to deal with. So let's get to dealing with them. But that is a long process. You know, it's, it's, it's long and it won't always be comfortable because it's a lot of unpacking, unpacking our own personal shame, perhaps kind of exploring the issues that exist in our community. And we're not always going to agree with each other. And that's, that's why I say at the end, you know, love our humour, love our food, love our this, love our that. It's, there's so many ways to Jewish pride, but it's about all of us embarking on that journey as an individual, but also as a people. And I think it's also just never forgetting the work. We have to rebuild our people. We can never lose sight of that.